0: billionaire Donald Trump went back to his roots today. He flew to the Isle of Lewis to visit his Scottish mother's former home in Stornoway. Mary McLeod Trump emigrated to America in the 1930s. The flamboyant businessman is in Scotland to give evidence tomorrow to a public inquiry into his controversial plans to build a massive golf course in Aberdeenshire. People know that Our level of work is the best. And when the project is finished, it's going to be the best. And that's why governments call me. They have a great piece of land in a certain country. They call me. And so, you know, I hope for the best in Aberdeen. I think it'll be a terrific project. I don't think there'll be anything like it anywhere in the world.
1: Hello, and welcome to Somatic, a podcast that takes a critical look at sport and the active body at the politics surrounding our everyday active body experiences, spaces, cultures, practices, and communities. In this episode, we talk with two scholars who recently conducted some fascinating research on the intersections of golf, politics, and environmentalism. Specifically, they studied a case involving then-American real estate mogul Donald Trump and his quest to build a golf course resort on the northeast coast of Scotland. At the time, which was around the year 2012, The case received significant international media attention, and local residents conducted grassroots efforts to resist the sporting development. And now, in the year 2019, this case is particularly significant and fascinating, for we now live in an era of a President Donald Trump.
2: No, no, you
0: know what? You're creating violence by your questions. You are creating you. And also, a lot of the reporters are creating violence by not writing the truth. Fake news is creating violence.
1: We also now live in an era of climate change, and scholars are increasingly considering issues related to anthropocentrism, interpreting the world through a human-centered perspective. And we can study and discuss all of these issues by taking a critical look at the world of sport and international sporting development. So in this episode, we talk about a case in which Trumpism, environmentalism, and human agency collided, as Donald Trump sought to build a golf course on a site of special scientific interest and environmental importance. We consider the perspectives of the local residents and their attempts to contest development. And we consider the importance of the case in relation to questions of anthropocentrism, sustainable development, and environmental agency. In 2017, scholars Brad Millington and Brian Wilson published an article in the International Review for the Sociology of Sport. The article examined the environmental and social politics of Trump International Golf Links Scotland, a golf course built in Aberdeenshire by Donald Trump's organization, and a sporting development that was publicly protested and contested by area residents. Millington and Wilson researched this case. In the years prior to the 2016 U.S. presidential election, when, as we now know, Trump became president. Their research entailed interviewing figures that were associated with grassroots efforts to resist the golf course development, a campaign that became known as Tripping Up Trump. Millington and Wilson researched the development of Trump's golf course as part of a larger study of the relations between golf and the environment, culminating in their 2016 book, The Greening of Golf, Sport Globalization, and the Environment. In this 2017 article, however, they focus on the specific case study of Trump's new golf course in Aberdeenshire, using the case to consider broader questions of anthropocentrism and the ways in which scholars can rethink the agency of the non-human and the environmental through the study of sport. I
0: am Brad Millington. I am an associate professor at the University of Bath, in Bath, uh, England, and I do work on uh, sport, physical activity, um, leisure, essentially various elements of physical culture from a sociological perspective. It's kind of the broad area. I'd say I have specific interests in two areas. One is the relationship between sport and the environment, and then the other one is health and fitness technology.
2: Okay, I'm Brian Wilson. I'm a professor in the School of Kinesiology at the University of British Columbia. Uh, I'm trained as a sociologist and in communication studies. I'm um, I'm currently director of the Center for Sport and Sustainability uh, at the University of British Columbia. And um, I guess I work in a research group, which is myself and graduate students, that's called Sport Environment Peace Media, which basically just encapsulates what I do um, so yeah, like, like Brad, my interests, one of my key ones has for a long time been around sport and environmental issues. I'm also keenly interested in claims that are made around, uh, I guess, relationships between sport and peace. And most recently have been doing work along with work with Brad around sport and environmental issues, around how uh, peace issues, peace-related issues and environmental issues are covered by journalists with a a focus on how environmental journalism and peace journalism as models might be useful for thinking about how we cover these issues in sport.
1: In their book, The Greening of Golf, Millington and Wilson followed the sport's evolution and emergence as a major global industry. They examined the history of environmental issues in the golf industry and the various responses to environmental problems surrounding golf course development. And it was through this broader research agenda that they began to study the case involving Donald Trump and his quest to build a golf course on a site of special scientific interest on the northeast coast of Scotland.
0: Essentially, what happened with the case was that Trump wanted to build this golf course, or Trump's organization, I guess, wanted to build this golf course near Aberdeen, Scotland. Um, so, So kind of north on the northeast coast, right on the coastline. And... The proposal to build the course was initially rejected at the local level, and it was a very close vote. There were some reasons why it was rejected, but among them was the fact that the course was going to be built on what's called the Site of Special Scientific Interest, um, and that's the Fovur and Link Sand Dunes ecosystem. Brian mentioned the Site of Special Scientific Interest, SSSI it's often known as, so it's what's, you know, ostensibly a protected environmental site. So The proposal is rejected at the local level, but there's this regulatory mechanism whereby that type of proposal can get called in at the national level by the government and reviewed by Scottish ministers, and that happens when it's deemed to be in the national interest so in oh a few years later i guess it was well this was around 2008 there's a report by the directorate for planning and environmental appeals which is basically a report for scottish ministers to decide on the case right and and i think what they're doing is essentially deciding if it is indeed in the national interest and then if the proposal has value and the decision that's recommended by this director for planning and environmental appeals is to approve the course and that's ultimately what happens and it's a really interesting report to read because you have the for case for the course right so that's the trump organization and others and then you have the um against case which is people like you know environmental and, and heritage organizations who are worried about various things but among them the impacts on on the sand dunes um and it's, it, it is, I think, an interesting document because the, the, the decision that they arrive at is such that the economic and social elements, so things like you know, the creation of jobs that is, is likely to follow from the making of the new course, for example, are enough to override any environmental concerns, right? So that is to say they acknowledge that there are some real environmental concerns here. Right? And indeed, there are some lines even from the Trump organization where they acknowledge that there's going to be some some loss of dynamism and that sort of thing. So it, it's, it's an interesting document thinking about that concept of sustainable development, right? Sustainable development being the idea that we can ideally achieve economic, social, and environmental sustainability all at the same time. And this is laid out in very clear terms how the environmental arm of sustainable development is kind of superseded by the economic and and social arm. And so the course development plan goes ahead. Eventually, the course is built, but along the way, the Trump organization runs into this resistance movement called uh, Tripping Up Trump, which puts up quite a fight in in trying to halt the the building of the course for social reasons, things like the potential displacement of local people, but also environmental reasons. So, you know, the impact on the on the Fulver and Lake Sand Dunes, I should say it's still a case that really is kind of, you know, a live case in the sense that um, the, the plan initially involved plans for a second golf course, which is has yet to be built, so there could still potentially be further expansion. I mean, what has happened since the course was built is that it has yet to live up to even the kind of rosy economic picture that was painted when the initial sort of proposal process happened, right? So there's been some articles in the news BBC and Guardian have reported on this about how, you know, there were promises of something like, i might not get these figures out here, something like 6,000 jobs that would be created and the figure is, is is much lower than that. I think it's something like, um, you know, in, in the neighborhood of 100 jobs that have been created or something along those lines, right? And, you know, the, a Trump official might respond by saying, well, actually, we're still building and there's still time to achieve those numbers and so on. But there have been people um, like Alex Salmon, the first minister of Scotland, who has said, actually, this, this has not lived up to what it was supposed to be, even on the economic side. Alex Salmon is the former first minister of Scotland. Um, not to mention the environmental implications. So, for example, the, the site might now actually lose its designation as a site of special scientific interest. That's one possibility now. and That's something that's been talked about in, in news media recently because of the environmental implications of the course.
1: It's been a few years since Trump began to build his International Golf Links Scotland. The story earned at the time and continues to earn significant media attention. At this point, not only because Trump is now President of the United States, but also because of the strategies by local residents, the noted strategies to counter the construction of the golf course. So much of the story, however, concerns the environment and environmentalism. And in their 2017 article, the authors wrote, On the policy front, the Trump case exemplifies in empirical terms what environmental sociologist John Hannigan calls environmental managerialism. The idea that when faced with a dual mandate to promote economic growth and protect the environment, governments typically manage the situation by enacting, or in this case enforcing, policies that gesture towards the latter, while in fact facilitating the former. Human interests, quote, prevail ahead of those of plants, animals, sand, and other non-humans, with the industry and the public and environmental movements similarly inclined. And in the case of Trump International Golf Links, quote, the concern for human displacement, at least in this case, seemed to outweigh that of freezing the nearby sand dunes.
2: For me, there were probably three, maybe four things that really came out of when I was reflecting on the article and things that at least stood out for me. The first was, and it reflects on what Brad just talked about, I guess you can call it environmental managerialism, which essentially refers to, among other things, that attempts by groups, often government, sort of balance responsibilities around serving environmental interests uh, at the same time as balancing those against economic ones, and certainly in places where... Know, governments have that dual mandate they do what they can to serve both and what brad just described which was the decision made in this case to simply weigh out environmental costs and benefits uh social costs and benefits and economic ones and then out of that you can actually say you know we actually looked at all of these and we've decided that the economic benefits just outweigh the rest so this is what we're going to do um for me, actually, that is a really wonderful and interesting case of some of the potential flaws with having sustainability as a guiding principle. It actually allows you to follow this principle to a T and still come out with a decision that will have the kinds of environmental, negative environmental implications that I think people who care about those things think, well, maybe those should weigh a little bit more. Or maybe this idea of actually weighing environmental against uh, against economic, maybe those just don't sit equally when we're thinking about the health of the earth versus like the, the health of a local economy, or at least what may even help the health of the local economy. So that was a big thing that came out of it. The other piece of this was actually the strategies used by the activists themselves which uh, I know Brad sort of mentioned in the article. I mean, there were some pieces there that, to respect the activists around this, I mean, they came up with some really innovative strategies for at least getting finding the gains that they did they did find. And one of the things that we've referred to in the article, which I'm sure you came across, was the strategy when they were trying to, uh, when Trump's group was considering an order to actually have the land... Um, of some of one of the local people uh, taken away for the course was to sell off small pieces of part of the, the property to uh, how many was it was it a thousand people or something like that that? Yeah, so it was a lot of people who basically bought small bits of the land that, that the Trump group was considering. Uh, trying to use legislation to to have forcibly moved so that it could it could be part of the the golf course. And by virtue of having all of these people buy small pieces of land, it would have been individual court cases for each one of those people. So it was a very effective strategy to sort of offset that. Uh, the other thing that we thought was interesting, and we certainly got this from the uh, the people that we spoke with there, was their understanding, that as important as the environmental issues were, it was actually the issue of moving people off the land who'd been there a long time that for them was the most compelling one and in, in the end in terms of actually mobilizing people, it was around that that they thought was far more effective for them. So in terms of like tactics and strategies, that was uh, that was interesting.
0: The threats that, Or the concern that the Trump Organization would force people or would apply to the government to force people off their land is called a compulsory purchase order. I think there is some debate or some lack of clarity as to whether the Trump Organization ever initiated that or actually considered that and so on. But it was certainly a worry amongst the people that we spoke with that that would be initiated. In order to remove them from their land, and so that's what stimulated. I think they called it the bunker, this piece of land on Michael Forbes's property, where they all invested. And the idea was to try to impossibly tie up their, tie up things to, to to you know such a great extent uh, in legislation if they did try to remove people from their land.
1: Stories like that of Trump's golf course and the local resistance to the construction are increasingly important in this area of climate change, for many reasons. But one is that it compels scholars and people to reflect and consider the problem of anthropocentrism, the privileging and centering of human agency and interests over that of the non-human, environmental agents, animals, plants, sand dunes. The case of Trump's golf course is a story of power, a story of local resistance. But as Millington and Wilson explain, it's also a story about ins- issues of anthropocentrism.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, it is a theme, I guess, that has run throughout the work that we've done on, on sport and the environment. Um, and it's, it's really about this idea of, you know, privileging people and their interests, right? So this idea that people are sort of exempt from the environment and should have the capacity to exert control over the environment, that they have the capacity and should be allowed to to sort of exert that control. It's something that we... We talk about it in the book. There, there's um, uh, John Dryzek has a book where he outlines various environmental discourses that was really helpful for us. And one of them is this idea of a Promethean discourse. So Prometheus is the myth of Prometheus. So Prometheus steals fire from Zeus and gives it to humankind and thereafter people have the ability to, you know, radically change the, their environments and their, their experiences and so on. And for Dryzek the Promethean discourse is that idea that people have, you know, these, these technologies, combined with the will to manipulate their environment and not just that, the Promethean discourse suggests that they should indeed be allowed to act on those impulses and, and, and you know, deploy those technologies as they like and it's something that we talk about in the book especially in that time period kind of post-war time period where you know, research into science and technology had produced some really potent chemicals and some really efficient ways of utilizing those chemicals, right? So we're talking about things like DDT, for example, right? This really potent chemical that that we have, historical evidence that suggests was used on golf courses. And, you know, people talking in the early post-war years about, you know, spraying DDT with basically, in like these like broad ranging applications, right? Like basically just plastering the course. I think we have one article that's even about helicopter spraying of a tree line with DDT. In, in, the, in the early post-war years, and um, and what goes along with that is we have these excerpts from from people within the golf industry talking about well this is these tools are available to us and it's kind of our right to use them. There's this one passage in particular where this this I have it up here is from the book um, where there's a, a the president of the Golf Course Superintendents Association who talks about how the truth of the matter is that civilization began when man learned to use fires and the fire and other tools to modify his environment, right? Now you know that's not necessarily representative of every single person involved in the golf industry at the time by any means, but it's certainly a prominent figure. And so there's that time period in the 1960s where there's that Promethean discourse that is really quite prominent. And one of the things we try to do in the book is chart out how that was not really a sustainable, that's part of the pun, sustainable way of doing things. Right, that eventually the environmental movement and eventually politicians and, and so on would put pressure on industry in a way that made, in a way that made them move away from practices like you know, indiscriminately spraying a golf course with DDT or something like that. Um, and so we, we chart that out, how they kind of move away from that Promethean discourse but there's still a form of anthropocentrism we think that remains to this day and that and that we see it in in certain cases right and i think that the trump case is is a really good case in point right i mean just the the very basics of the case is that there's this plot of land that um is designated as a site of special scientific interest but that it we should be able to use it is the idea right that for um, for people's own purposes, right? In order to build a, a championship golf course, I guess the the side that you talked about the, the the anthropocentrism on the protest side had to do with when we when we spoke to one of the people who was sort of protesting against the course, and she said. Um, that it wasn't until the protest movement really made the case around compulsory purchase orders, so forcibly moving people off of their land, and they're concerned that this might happen, that the protest movement really struck a chord. That was her sense anyways. And we thought, that, that, that's, that's really interesting, right? It seems like there should be a compelling case here around the environmental implications of the course. But that didn't gain traction, at least in the view of this, this one person we spoke with, in the same way that the, 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 the kind of human consequences of building the course did. And so you, I think you can make the case that that's, that's, that's kind of anthropocentrism at work, right? It's, it's only when the human elements of uh, development projects are considered that they really kind of like uh, click for
2: people. one of the things that I thought about with respect to the Trump case, but this certainly applies more generally, I think, to thinking about environmental issues and anthropocentrism is the question of, like, what inequalities are we compelled to care about? And that was certainly relevant for the case. I mean, if we think about the kinds of inequities that are commonly associated with environmental issues, the ones across class, across region, like across generations, you know, the kinds of things that that uh, we do now, how those are going to impact you know, people in the future, but at, of course, like these inequalities between humans and non-humans, and I think what the, the, one of the people that we spoke with, with the Trump group, there was a disappointment in a way that that last piece, like the actual, you know, the dynamic movement of these sand dunes, that people didn't seem to care that much about mm-hmm. that. And for me, it's actually important, like I guess as a next step beyond the article, and it's something that, uh, you know, I know Brad and I have talked about with work that we're thinking of doing next and some of the work that I'm doing around media and those these sorts of things is like, what are the kinds of things that actually do compel people to think, I guess, with some form of empathy about things that have a little bit less to do with us and may even be non non-human as well? And to me, in terms of like actually moving on some of these issues and moving on things like climate change that certainly impact people like absolutely but do require thinking ahead and about those that may not be directly like you know that we see as being like us uh and to me these are some of the big questions that come out of that and to me your question around anthropocentrism is key to this is how do we move around this and what does it take for that movement to take place? And I think the Trump case suggested that, you know, in that case, people didn't actually move that much. This still, at the end of the day, was a, you know, a human focused movement, even though there were environmental issues that that uh, led them to get involved in the first place Were part of that.
1: Millington and Wilson conducted their research on Trump International Golf Links Scotland in the years before he became president in 2016. And in our interview, I asked them to reflect on their work, now that we are living in an era of a President Trump.
2: I don't know. I mean, there are things we would have certainly added in. One thing I thought about was... So we, at the time when we were interviewing the activists for the Tripping Up Trump group, they told us in great detail, and it wasn't hard to find other places, like how the accusations that were lodged at Trump's group about the negative impacts of the golf course uh, on that area, what the responses were to that. And so what were those responses? Well, the responses from, from Trump at the time and his group were initially part some of them were bullying tactics so one of the things we write about in the article is one of the different landowners who were around the course where trump wanted to build and how he would made personal attacks on those individuals um one of the other things he did in terms of was again reframing arguments so in a way where i'm going with this is the ways that trump responded to accusations that he was doing something bad were remind me very much of the kinds of things stylistically, like his tactics, strategies, and ways of speaking to what we see now. So, I mean, to me, the most interesting example, and again, in hindsight, I'm like, wow, uh, was so the the golf course, one of the reasons that it was viewed as a site of... Um, special scientific interest was that it was a, as you know from the article, a dynamic dune system. You know, so the the sand moved. That was actually very unusual in the way that it was set up and that's what was trying to be preserved. As a response to accusations that this course was going to destroy this, um, one of the things that Trump and his group claimed was that not only was the course not going to be a problem, it was actually going to make things better that he was going to be saving the dunes by stabilizing them. Which again takes away the idea that what was of special interest was they were dynamic. So the stabilizing them as a way of saving them was just this, I'm just like, wow, what a really interesting way of, of reframing that. And that it was at least at first pass effective. Um, like that was that was the piece as well that in fact, as the article articulated that in fact uh, there was a reversal in an initial decision to not allow the course for environmental reasons. So I guess the things that I sort of reflect on were, were kind of, I guess Trump's style and the kinds of things that were effective around it, as well as the, I guess I call the bullying tactics, but that was also part of the style, was to begin to attack individuals and say things about them as a way of, I guess, taking attention away from what the broader issue was. So, uh, which in a way, I guess we talk about that in our social movements chapter in our book as well, which is simply like a, a way that things were framed. Yeah,
0: there was one... One local resident in particular who we met with named uh, Michael Forbes, who really took the brunt of of Trump's sort of, you know, kind of uh, coarse and, and, and kind of uh, pugnacious, those elements of his personality, Michael Forbes. Um, there's, one, uh, there, there's one excerpt I have here where he's, Trump is quoted as saying he lives in a pig-like atmosphere, right? And the kind of backstory there is... There were people, Forbes in particular, who were living on the land that could potentially be part of the golf course development, right? And so the idea in saying he lives like a pig-like atmosphere is saying that he's actually not even taking care of the land and so on, and it should be usable for the golf course, etc. Yeah, there's other there, – I, I think – I agree with Brian. I think there's – there were things that, you know, we didn't know we were there in 2012 – I guess at the site of the course and meeting with some of the people who are protesting against the course. I guess I should say there's aside from reading a book, which I'm sure people would want to do, but there's a there's a good documentary, a really interesting one called You've Been Trump. Yeah, that that um, you know, tells the story in in detail and and lays out the, the sort of array of of uh, allegations of, of bullying by people living there and and so on. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just I, th- I think being there in 2012 um, and seeing some of the ways that Trump communicated around the course, it meant that um, the the presidential election was, I guess, less of a surprise, you know. And maybe we had other things to go by that made 2016 the, the presidential election not a surprise at all. But the, the Trump case is certainly a case in point, right? So even just things like, you know, the kind of... Uh, hyperbole, right? So there's there's quoted excerpts like um, you know if Trump saying things like everybody thinks this is the best piece of golf land they have ever seen, right? And and that sort of thing. Um, or when completed, this is another one. When completed, this land will be environmentally enhanced and better than it was before. Right, so along the lines of what uh, of what Brian was saying. I don't know I guess I don't know if we were writing it now how different it, it would be because I think what we were trying to do at the time was just lay out the case such as it was and then reflect on why it's significant and I guess, I guess we would still do the same I guess it's just that now there's this even more intense spotlight on everything that happens around the course because of you know Trump's role as a politician and um and all the things that he's done in office that I think have um, certainly soured some people in in Scotland who previously supported the, the development initiative.
3: Hi everyone, Oliver here, just jumping in at the end for the outro. Um, just start off by just saying a huge thanks again, again, both to Brad and to Brian. Um, their work is incredibly relevant to the greater political context that we face right now, and in particular uh, in North America. Um, we really are big fans of what they're doing, um, connecting, obviously, uh, some of the, the kind of ins and outs of the particular cultural and political moment with these broader existential questions around the environment. And we were just like very privileged to have them on the show and, and to have that discussion that we could share with all of you. Um, and, and so, yeah, just a, a huge, huge thanks to them. Uh, as always, there'll be a blog post that goes in conjunction with this episode and you can find that at somatic podcast.com. Um, also, uh, As always, if you have any comments or questions, you can send us an email to somaticpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you have any other projects that you're interested in working on, please send us an email. Uh, You can also use the contact form at our website. Um, We're always looking for new projects to work on, uh, new things to share uh, with our our audience. Um, And, you know, again, as always to our audience, we just want to say thank you, uh, taking the time out. Uh, for your day to listen to what we've produced means a hell of a lot to us Um, so yeah thank you again uh, for continuing to to be a part of this uh, project with us Uh, with that it just leaves me to say uh, this has been Somatic.
0: golf course in the world and i think that you'll enjoy it i think it's something that's going to be very special uh as sandy said hopefully iconic and i think the word iconic is important it's a special place scotland is a special
2: place
3: makes me very proud uh, to be a professional Scottish golfer uh, today to, uh, to witness this opening of this uh, fantastic fantastic course and I'm sure that on behalf of all of all the pros uh, around that are, that are playing up uh, in Inverness today as well uh, I can go back uh, tomorrow to tell them how wonderful this site and this occasion is today
0: we've been scrutinized by every group that there is out there. Every independent agency that's monitored us, that's been appointed to monitor us by the council, uh, we've gotten all glowing
2: reports. Um, Martin hawtrey wrote the book on environmental golf development. He's our architect, he's been incredibly instrumental in everything that we've done here.